everybody. Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not speaking on this podcast or writing all about endurance training and nutrition and competing and all that fun stuff, I am hopefully outside doing one of those things. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk to all different types of people who do different types of movement and different sports, and we try and pull back some some takeaways that we can apply to the sports we do and maybe inspire some future different movements that we might do. Molly, what have you done this week? Have you been a consummate athlete or are you a running elite-ist? Uh, it depends on how we're defining the week. If we're talking like weekdays, then definitely running elitist. <laughs> can we stretch like, the week into, uh, you I, know, one of those nine-day rotations? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like nine-day, like definitely hiked. Uh, I mean, we've obviously been walking and I do my morning core as I do, but it's kind of been running, running, running because I have two races coming up. Well, when this comes out, I'll have just done a 5K on the weekend. And it'll be my first 5K in it's very six... athletic, very athletic discipline you've chosen. Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you for interrupting me to, to say that. <laughs> that was very, very pleasant. Um, yeah, it's my first 5K in like six years. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. I don't really know how it's going to go. It's kind of weird to think about pacing a 5K when you're used to 50Ks. So it's going to be interesting. It's good. I wish more people would do those super short durations. Yeah, I think it'll be good. And then I have a 50K the weekend after. And I felt like such a jerk. I was talking to a friend, making plans with her for a couple of days after the 50K. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't think I'll be up for running with you, but I'd love to get coffee. Uh, I have a race that weekend. She's like, oh, what race? And I was like, oh, just like a little 50K. And then as I said it, I was like, ah, oh, I'm really sorry. That sounds really obnoxious because it does. Yeah. But honestly, it is like legitimately a local 50K that's going to be something that I'm doing for fun, not really focusing too hard on in it to win it. Like, Yeah, it's sort of a C race. Yeah. You just sort of going into it. So I, I was going to say it's a C race in terms of like ABC, but it's also a C race as in like see what happens. Right. Uh, which I'm pretty excited for. So. That's what C races are for. I never thought about that. You, could, you could form a new new thing yeah um, so that's that's exciting i've also actually on the consummate athlete side i guess i've been editing the second shred girls book like final pass it's due out next summer which means it's pretty much done now um and it was funny as i was reading through it i was like man i have these girls eat a lot in this book um there's a lot of food in it and i'm really psyched on that because i think especially like the more and more i talk to young athletes um, the more I realize sports nutrition information is not really well talked about in schools and stuff. And with my experience coaching cross country last year for the high school, the boys and girls definitely did not eat enough to fuel their training. So I'm pretty excited that in this book, it really kind of hammers home the importance of, you know, not just eating a bunch of salad and like that's quote unquote healthy. It's like all about a pretty balanced diet and making sure that you're you know, actually adequately fueling your ride as per my previous book. It's a nebulous thing for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, that's just kind of a fun observation I, I made today about that. So I'm, re I'm really excited for that book though, as I read it through, I, you know, it's been a year since I turned in the first draft. So reading it through, you're like, oh my gosh, I wrote this. Well, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I didn't freak out or panic or anything, although it took me a solid week to be willing to open it up and start reading it. I have a really hard time reading my work. It would be very uncomfortable. It is very uncomfortable. All right. Well, what else is uh, going on? I'm drinking from a Shred Girls mug, some black mm. tea right now. I'll try not to sip too loudly and obnoxiously, but uh, <laughs> it's a plug for Shred Girls gear, I guess. 
Yeah, so you can find that on shred-girls.com slash shop. Thank you for that. Uh, actually, a bunch of really cool new designs on there that I, I really like. So worth worth checking out. Um, otherwise, you know, not too much new other than actually on the topic of Shred Girls, I am taking on a few coaching clients. Uh, if you're a younger woman or teenager looking to kind of take your cycling to next level and get a little bit more dialed in on like an actual training plan uh you can check that out at shredgirls.com uh there's just a coaching button to click on the menu uh on the home page it's easier than trying to say the url uh so definitely check that out i'm only taking a few clients so if you're interested hit me up and then for older women adult women i won't say older women but i did say it so i apologize it's out but there. adult women we're doing a gravel camp so that's in Girona in March 2020. Yeah, which sounds like far, like it's far away, but it's actually under six months away at this point. So if you've started thinking about your 2020 season at all, it's kind of time to start thinking about that. Yeah, I'm really excited. I have a few uh, women who I, I coach who are really awesome people, and I was pretty excited that a few of them are, are into it, and we're trying to convince a few more. So there you go. Party in Girona. But if you're not one of my clients, you're welcome to come as well. Also and sort of open and... Yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes and everything else we just talked about. But for now, let's maybe get into this Q&A. Yeah, some good questions today. Yeah, I thought this first question was super interesting. And I mean, it's a topic we've touched on before, but, you know, it's, I think when you're in it and when it happens to you, you kind of aren't looking backwards at like, oh, let me look through three years of podcasts to find out about this. So completely understandable so the question is about dealing with injury so uh this guy can't currently ride and can't currently race and he's experiencing a ton of you know fomo and a little bit of jealousy watching everybody else you know getting in their hashtag cyclocross mud pictures for the season and just having a hard time so he wanted to know how he can kind of stay relatively in cycling shape slash not gain a bunch of weight while coming back from injury okay so we just had Megan Roche. Yeah. So and, in terms of going back in podcasts, that that's a good one. Mm-hmm. I asked a, a fairly pointed question about that, I think, to her through you. Yeah. And I mean, that one, it, it sounds like it's going to be for runners since Megan is a running coach and a very accomplished runner herself. But she just came through a hamstring injury. And I think what she has to say about it is honestly applicable to any sport. Like it really doesn't matter if you're a cyclist or a runner or whatever. Um, she has some good advice on kind of the brain training side of that, we'll say. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, there are a few episodes, but let's see if we can do some justice here for this specific situation. We do know he is a cyclist. Yes. Okay. So he's missing cycling. Apparently cannot bicycle. Yeah. But we don't know the specific injury, but let's assume it's a lower leg injury. Are we going to assume that or because or, it could would, be like concussion or something or hand or arm or something like that. Well, yeah, because I mean, if it's a limb, let's assume it's a limb and not a concussion type thing uh, or an illness, I guess, then you certainly could do some sort of indoor training, you know, get that passed by doctors, physios, whatever. But usually they're pretty into some sort of, you know, single leg or, you know, using like an arm bike or a ski machine or maybe a rower. Um, there's or something, a, there's or something more low impact. Like I'm a huge fan of aqua jogging, which sounds like a thing that's reserved for like the 80 plus sure. crowd. But honestly, it's so hard. Yep. Swimming of any type. Maybe you can swim with a, a board or no mm-hmm. legs with a buoy. buoy. Uh, so there's some stuff like that. And, and it might be completely out of your wheelhouse, but it's just like, I think when you're in these injury things, you try and find 
like what can you put some focus into that you wouldn't have otherwise and treat it as an opportunity right mm-hmm. um i'm just thinking about jocko and <laughs> uh, oh dear there's this guy we won't get into jocko but uh he, he said like good whenever something bad happens you try oh, no. you just try and say good <laughs> and then think of like why it's good right i could also go i've t- mentioned the myth of stress and so you, you, whenever there's a stressful thing you're saying oh i shouldn't have been injured well can you think of reasons that you maybe not should have been injured but the, the idea is that like when you're stressed about it like oh, okay i maybe had this injury coming or you know i i couldn't have stopped it um And so now it's like, well, what can we do about it? What are some solutions to this problem, right? Or what are some opportunities that it's presented us with? So let's say it's lower body, broken leg. You could go to the gym and you could do learn, get some help. You could do some upper body work. You could learn how to bench press. You could do a pull up for the first time. A lot of people I know have had lower leg injuries and, you know, they're in a boot cast and like, boom, they've never done a pull up. Suddenly they can do a pull up and they've just gained huge athleticism. Um, even for cyclists, that would be hugely worthwhile to learn how to do that, right? Yeah, and if it's an upper body thing, like there are some like lower leg stuff you can work on that wouldn't necessarily strain, say, a broken arm or hand or something like, you know, calf raises, for instance. Sure, and again, go with your physio and stuff. But usually after the first week or two of like post-break, I usually try and get people not to do much in that week or two after just to let everything settle. But, you know, with a collarbone and stuff, we've had people you get a I have a fancy band set up you throw like a bicycle tube off of like the back of a door and then put it around your shoulder and then you're sort of supported while you're on your indoor trainer and that's we are a limited liability podcast and will not be held responsible for any dumbass things you do with a band but let's think so that's you could exercise again think outside the box and it's you know sort of you could also take time off which is good. I was going to say. At some point, you have to take time off. Time off is performance enhancing. We all hate to do it. And it does sort of like present the problem of like, what do you do with all your free time? I have an answer for that. Um, in addition to spending time with friends and family who don't normally see you because you're busy training, um, I actually think this is a really good time to do the annoying stuff that you don't do when you're in training. So that might look like starting a meditation practice or actually doing your like foam rolling, lacrosse balling, voodoo wrapping, whatever, you know, PT exercises you're given, the stuff that you generally ignore doing um, throughout the season when you're busy on the bike. But I actually think the meditation one is a huge one. Like, okay, great. You have an hour a day now. You know, what can you read about? What can you, you know, what can you try differently or i mean food prep you've been like okay you've got an extra an hour a day yeah you could learn to cook you could help with cooking if you don't usually cook and that again could be performance enhancing in the long term just cooking more of your food right and i think there was a question wrapped in this which i feel like the weight gain is less important like i think you need to be careful that um you're fueling your recovery especially if it is like a bone or something i think people make the mistake of just like completely not eating and not getting enough nutrients and there's certainly like an energy requirement to healing um so i think you want to eat but i mean preparing your own food versus eating out all the time which is going to predispose you to eating quicker and then also eating more poorly and more chemicals and so forth trying to cook more right and spending time grocery shopping or or you know learning about cooking if you can um, I think is a great investment in time for pretty much anyone, right? Even adults. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get, you know, someone else has been preparing the food. So trying to help with that. Yeah, absolutely. I had a thought around the meditation is like, I sort of roll my eyes still with all that stuff. I, I know. know it's trendy, but I, I like to think of it as like sitting quietly. And like, I think in this day and age, it's very seldom that we sit quietly with like, and be bored. 
and I think it's okay to be bored. And I think, you know, trying to sit with that and it might take some focus. It might take something like an app, like there's an app, uh, Oak that I really like that does like some breathing practice and I find breathing. I, you can like convince me to do some sort of breathing practice, but. And that one's free too. So that's nice. Yeah. And so just like thinking about your breath again, that could be performance enhancing for your cycling or your sport too, is just like being aware of your breath and, and learning about that. Yeah. Um, and then sort of the last one, I always hesitate to even mention some of this stuff because I feel like the automatic after I say this, everything I said about meditation and food prep and everything else just kind of goes out the door because it's like, oh, this is like the sexy answer. Um, but there are a lot of like cool breathing apparatuses and things like that that you can actually try that would kind of keep your cardio system in good shape, even if you can't train, like the Spyro Tiger. Um, there's a couple other options. power long and there's some imitations of the power long um and then also incentive spirometers but yeah that's that's getting a little niche like i mean there's stuff you can do with a balloon but i think even just starting with like uh breathing practice as far as meditation yeah type but if stuff. we're talking long-term injury and it's going to be a few months or something then it might be something worth looking into yeah for sure i mean i always like i am a huge fan of the spire tiger it's a bit of an investment for sure to get into it uh, but I think most people would see benefit from it. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the just like jealousy, fear of missing out stuff, I think one option would be once you know, like for sure when you're cleared, um, I think it would be putting like a big scary goal on the calendar for whether it's 2020 or 2021 and like actually, you know, saving up for it or putting the money down on it. Sure. Or like putting the money in a separate account if you can't sign up for it yet. That's like a big like kind of comeback race, whether that's like, trans rockies or bc bike race or something you know take all the money that you're not spending on bike racing right now and save that up and i think you're going to be amazed at how much cash you have for like a cycling vacation when you do come back yeah and i think you know once you can get back training it might be at like sort of a slower build but it, it is sort of a gift um to be able to train for an extended period of time a yeah, lot of us sure. are very quick to enter into like races constantly and be swifting constantly and fat bike racing constantly. And the year's like racing, 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 but there's rarely the hay going into the barn. So I think especially for like a master cyclist who's like a, a late onset, is that what they called the swimming thing? Late onset cyclist, so like an adult onset sort of cyclist or adult. Is that what he called yeah. it? Yeah. Um, you started cycling as an adult. Uh, I think that like just if you could get five, six, seven months of just blocks of training, like very like out of a Joe Friel book, like just three weeks on or two weeks on, one week off. No just... one else is doing that. <clears throat> You're going to be so good when you do get back to racing. Yeah, it's amazing what just training consistently for an extended period of time can do. And I think a lot of people don't have that. Like it's so like intensity or racing or group rides and i think sometimes again that's like that gift of injury which is a Stu mcgill book that's out now too oh, nice. um, which is i haven't read it but i think it's really good um and then i think the last thing i'll say is i know i'm a broken record on this but i know i say like volunteer at the race to avoid racing two days in the case of cyclocross i don't actually necessarily think that's the right answer for this guy because he's having a bit of like jealousy watching races yeah. but you could volunteer with like a nika group and actually work with some younger athletes help with those practices um you know sort of find like a way to give back to the community for more of like a younger audience um, yeah, where it doesn't if, feel like you're if you, you know, could get to them yeah for sure yeah and if it's not i mean it, it can also be like i i 
go to the odd race, but I find it hard to go as well. And so it's okay to do something else for a bit and maybe you get more hungry and maybe you decide there's something else in life too. And that's, that's okay too, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe you really like swimming or, yeah. or the gym, right? And and that's sometimes life takes us in different way, directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, Let's... hopefully upbeat. Yeah. Focus on what you can do. Yeah. Keep, keep your head up. <laughs> um, all right. On the topic of frustration, you've been getting a lot of questions around frustration lately. Yeah. A couple. And I'm trying to also head off a few. So we'll, we'll see how we do here. So the idea is like you, you've just started with a coach or a training plan. Um, and you're maybe like crying in the ditch because your workout, you know, you, you said, should I should do this wattage or this pace or this amount of intervals? And then you you didn't do it. So now we need to think up reasons that maybe you should not be doing that wattage or, or, or this this sort of thing. Um, so this might apply if you're transitioning indoors to like a indoor trainer or maybe treadmill or something like that. Uh, it might be you're starting back after maybe some time off. Um, so maybe you're not quite as fit as you were in the summer and that's normal and good. Enjoy it. Um, so I had sort of five things. So I'm going to try and make this brief, but also somewhat, uh, I don't know if comprehensive is the word, but there's five things. Um, so the first question would be like, did you change your device or switch the environment? Um, then in, in that case, any of the, the metrics and, and sort of like how you're assessing things might be off. It's true. When we're not in calling one and I don't run my exact trail that I do every workout on suddenly my workout paces are very different right and how you might perceive things right like oh, your, yeah. your mile markers so to speak like even just where you know how things fast things are moving by are people around are there fewer people around is it boring is there turns um, and then certainly indoors is going to be way different um, and then if you change devices like it's just all out the window a lot of times people think like heart rate monitors are pretty good but like uh, everyone's getting wrist-based ones now that are just like sort of not great i find they're good for the the macro not the micro yeah i don't know about that but maybe if you're sitting still they're okay i found mine's pretty <laughs> i'm gonna argue this one i actually find that my wrist one is reasonably... to itself we'll, we'll just agree that if you usually use that then expect it to work like it does but if you suddenly go to a super accurate one sure like i said <laughs> micro versus macro like am i doing an interval right now yes i am okay my heart rate is up okay um but but if you switch to something that was different uh say a heart rate strap super precise you know super fancy maybe it's reading differently more frequently whatever and so you're just gonna have to be like chill and maybe just don't look at it and just do the best you can on that workout and see what it looks like and then try it again right so the goal is to get something in the in the bank and then assess it later, maybe talk to your coach, and then you can sort of go, right? If there's something in the bank, we can sort of move it one way or the other. Okay, next time try, right? Or, or did you calibrate, right? So, so the answer is do the workout to the best of your general, ability. Like unless your feeling is so far off, right? And that's sort of the thing we're trying to assess here is like, you know, are, are you really, this, this is one of the questions, so we'll get there. Uh, if you're indoors or somewhere else, I, I like to just sort of ask, like, how would I do this if, were, if I were outside? Or how would I do this if it were simple? Right. I, I often tell clients, like, what's the name of the workout? Most of my workouts are named like three by eight threshold. So it's like three by eight, pretty hard. Something like that. Right. You don't need to know there's a bunch of description or wattages. Like, ultimately, you should be able to do a pretty good job off of the title. Um, 
and sometimes we add like rules, like people have like two power meters on the go or like a certain cadence or like I always get past this sign or I feel this way. So there's like these added rules we're sort of adding. Sometimes you need to like just get rid of all the rules and go back to that. Like what is the basis of this workout and just keep it simple. And then when you're done, see how it looks. Okay. So sometimes you would end up giving clients like fairly in-depth workouts, right? Yes, I'm guilty of that yeah. for sure. And, but I mean, that's not guilty. That's just you get like a lot of people really want those numbers. But I think part of what you're saying here is like if the if the numbers and the effort isn't matching up right, just kind of nix most of like the specific numbers and just try to focus on what is the workout actually saying? Is it three sets of five minutes hard with mm-hmm. three minutes of recovery? Okay, great. Right. Like forget the wattages or the heart rates that are there and just kind of like back it off to perceived exertion. Yeah, I, I think that's that's accurate. Like, I, I think if you're like, okay, I think I can do this. And that's where I get to like, what would this look like if I were sort of outside and just without anything? Like, would I continue today or would I be crying, you know, sitting in my basement? You know, because a number told me that I was feeling... I'd be crying inside or outside, but that's me most And it could be. There's, there's bad days, right? But I think it's worth just trying. Okay, I'm just going to see what this feels like. Just go in sort of by feel for five minutes and just put it in the bank. Um, and, and so that's the third thing is if I had no data, would I feel this way or would I just work hard and get it done? And then I think the last two are sort of my, my sort of cliche phrases that I use 80% as a passing grade, nothing is perfect. So sometimes, especially on indoor trainer or, you know, on the road where we like want it to be like quote unquote perfect. And so there's like a disruption, like our kid comes into the room and disrupts it or we're out and it's like windy. So we're not quite, we can't push quite as hard, but I think again, like I'd rather just someone try and if it said, you know, do this at 200 watts and it was at 180 watts, well, that's that's 90%. That's pretty good. Let's get it done. And then maybe it's like, oh, yeah, you seem like you're tired. We'll take tomorrow off. But you're out there. You may as well do it, right? I think we can safely say for coaches, they would so much rather see like intervals 7, 8, 9, and 10 be pretty crappy versus not done at all. Um, yeah, yeah, I guess if, if, if there was eight intervals, I guess for sure. Like you can end, but I think what I would not want to see is like, I warmed up, started interval one and then like completely shut it down. Um, and and there's cases where you would shut it down for sure. And we try to avoid getting that deep in fatigue. Um, but this is more like, we're just trying to get to that core where like you are just completely blasted and fatigued, not oh, I was expecting the wattage to feel easier today, right? And we're just trying to get it done. Um, And then the other thing is 90% of life is showing up. Many people aren't even going to start. So if you just get like one or two done and like maybe by interval one or two or three, you know, if there's say five intervals, you're like, yeah, I'm still not just feeling amazing, then okay. But like make sure you let yourself warm up, get into it. I think the other, like my coach often like met, like actually puts in the workout, these last few are going to suck. Right. Like, and I think that's like a good reminder is, hey, these are intervals. They're not supposed to feel super fun. Like you should feel really freaking tired during the last couple of them. Yeah. And that's, that's really the debate, right? Is like you don't, any one day you're not going to burn out, but if it feels like every day of your week is that like that like that's when you need to be okay i need an off week or an off month sure but usually like during the cool down i like immediately snap back to feeling totally fine it's really just like for for me and i realize this is not the same for you because you actually enjoy intervals i hate intervals i think they're awful 
I would like to ban intervals if I could, please. Um, but I'm I'm starting to recognize like, oh, it's not that it feels bad or like actually actually legitimately bad. It's just I don't like doing them. I don't like going very hard. I like going long. I don't like going hard. Well, it takes some focus too. I think is what you don't like is it's not. I like really hate you're focus. on and off, and you have to know sort of like you have to have some sort of work out and then you have to have like well how fast is this yeah i have to pay attention it's really annoying Um, anyway my point is just intervals are going to be hard it's okay that they're hard and and it's okay that every day is not your best day right i think sometimes we expect you know every day to feel really good or every day to be you know oh new best wattage new best wattage new best watch and it's like sometimes you just need you know put that five by five or two by twenty or whatever it is put it in the bank and again, 180 watts, you got a couple weeks of 180 watts, you recover, and then it's like, boom, did a 210 watts, right? And it, it's how it happens, but you can't get the 210 if there's not some some work done, right? And so I think that's what we're trying to avoid here. And, and again, in, in days, we want to be careful that we're not always fatigued, but on a single day, it might just be mental fatigue you know, from mm-hmm. work and late in the day and stuff. Right? Yeah, actually, a new study came out. I'm working on an article about it now um, that actually like athletic training does affect your your brain. So it's it's not it's vice it's vice versa, too. So if you're mentally exhausted, your physical performance is going to suffer. If you're physically exhausted, your mental performance is going to suffer. So just kind of remembering everything is connected. Yeah, I think I saw Alex Hutchison had written about that maybe because I think in his book Endure, and he's been on the podcast, he was talking about how like maybe there's like a mental training benefit that, you know, if you're training, if you go sometimes after work and do your intervals, it's going to feel really hard and maybe you don't perform as well, but there's like a benefit to that, that then on race day, hopefully you're not mentally fatigued from work. You know, you've had your sort of off day, it's a Saturday or a Sunday then you sort of get a bump is the hope. Mm -hmm. But then I think what you're saying is that they found if you do like a bunch of hard intervals in the morning, your motivation to work is going to probably decline. And I think that makes logical sense, but they they actually showed this. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay, let's move on. The next one I won't belabor because it's sort of related, but uh, you have the luxury of having multiple power meters. Maybe one's on an indoor trainer and then you have a power meter, say, on your crank, something like a Quark or an SRM. Uh, which one should you pay attention to? Uh, so in our, this is like very first world problems having so many power meters. Uh, because indoors is different just by nature of your sort of sitting still on a trainer. Uh, I, my preference would be that we sort of record and keep the data from the same power meter. Now that doesn't mean that you might not, sometimes I'll put like the the, the trainer power on if there's a screen or something, uh, you know, a computer screen, you're on a Zwift or something like that or whatever. Maybe I'll use that power, but I just recognize that it's going to be different than my crank. It's unlikely they're going to read the same. Okay, so you'd use your like cycling computer to record heart rate and power from your like. One hundred percent. How would I do it outside? That's what I always ask myself. What would it look like if it were simple? What if I was going to go outside at, during you know ride indoors for a bit, then go outdoors? So I just have my same setup, power meter on my bike goes to the Garmin or bike computer head, records, and that's what I usually upload. And then if there's not that I do Zwift, but if there was Zwift or I have a couple computer programs that just sort of put the the trainer info on the screen and then you can follow a plan, that stuff I'll use and it's there and it's interesting and it's a backup for when everything else, you know, my, my computer fails. Well, and it's a lot more programmable. 
Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that's what I do. But some people I coach just use the trainer and you deal with the two power meters, but you recognize that it's different. So again, if we get into a workout, we are very careful that if there's like a range prescribed based on outdoors and a different power meter that you just, it's interesting information, but you got to be careful. Here's one. I think we might've addressed it a couple of years ago, but it's just kind of now occurring to me because a lot of people are getting on the trainer this season. What bike do you recommend using on the trainer? Yeah, it's tough because now everyone's got the direct drives and stuff where you take the rear wheel off. So that can be hard on carbon frames because they're not really meant to flex side to side. So I I think the consensus is that you got to be careful with that, especially if you're like one of the people who do like a lot of standing up, like really sprinting. Um, I've never really stressed on it that much and knock on wood, I've been okay, but I don't generally stand up very much on a trainer. But like which type of bike? I mean, like if you're a mountain biker, do you oh. put your mountain bike on the trainer? Especially now that there are the direct drive ones, right? That's like weird. that used to be impossible. Like it used to just be, no, of course you wouldn't put your mountain bike well, on the trainer. Well, you could, you just would put slicks on, but um, yeah, people do it for sure. I think it's again, first world problems that you have a lot of bikes. So what bike do you have? Um, I don't know. I think you could make a compelling argument if someone was a mountain biker and wasn't riding their bike outside, they could. But again, you get into dual suspension would be odd and damaging the frame and stuff like that. But I used to ride rollers on my mountain bike and we just put slick tires on it and made the rollers a little longer. Um, I don't know. There's not really, to me, you need sort of pedals in the right fit and bars in the right place, right? There's not, keep it simple, but mm-hmm. I'm sure people have, I have no major feeling for that. Just don't break your bicycle, I guess, and make sure you can train every day. Yeah. Well, that kind of leads into this next uh, this next question, actually, which is about uh, a specific pinky numbness during mountain biking. Uh, so part of why I kind of thought of that question is thinking through if I was dealing with a lot of hand numbness on one bike, would I switch a bike for the trainer or would I try to figure out what that one setup was and then use that on the trainer? Mm. Well, you could. If that was like a limiting thing for the season, you could certainly figure out a way to ride that mountain bike indoors i mean number one would be maybe go get a fit but you could also just sort of trial and error and see if you could get yourself set up problem is mountain biking is a lot different than sitting on a trainer like a road riding is more similar maybe to where it's stat more static you tend to sit you know for right, longer right. periods so yeah we had a person with sort of i guess it's like ulnar nerve so inside of your arm if your palm's facing forward if you can visualize that but the the nerve that sort of comes to your pinky so if it's sort of pinky and i think second is that ring finger i think it's pinky and ring finger nerves are not my specialty can go numb uh so it's not the same as like a whole hand numbness um but there's a few things i thought that you could do a just like are your bars really low or is your seat tilted down would be things that you could look at because that would be like weighing too heavily Maybe on weighting your, bars. your hand yeah yeah and sometimes that wouldn't necessarily entrap that but it could uh so just too much weight on your hands uh i think with a mountain biker you could also see maybe like suspension fork like if the maybe it's not like it seems like your bike's set up but maybe your fork's too soft and it's diving a bit so maybe you're sitting lower than you think you are so then like everything's tilted forward Mm -hmm. your suspension fork could also just be set up poorly so maybe you're getting like crazy vibrations and maybe having to grip really hard gripping really hard because you don't have a you know comfortable grip on the bars especially for extended periods this uh client was doing like a big long marathon race and really pushing the duration so it was any regular load too so we go back to just making sure you're progressing towards your goal uh as much as you can 
building up that time. And some of these issues will turn up in training then. Uh, what else? A classic would be just making sure, like, are you wearing gloves? Padded gloves should help with vibration. Oh, but if you are wearing gloves, sometimes, like, if they're a little too tight or even just too tight in your, like, pinky ring finger area, because, I mean, Could. gloves are yes. kind of weird. And, you know, if you're gripping and it's a little tight, your glove might actually like have a weird under pad that's kind of cutting off the circulation right there. Could be. Or cutting in at the side, like where it is in your hand. Um, so just kind of making sure your glove isn't too tight in that particular area or just, yeah, when it's even, in position. Maybe you're on the wrist. I don't know if you'd get ulnar because I think this persisted for a while, but that's a thing to check for sure. Your gloves just aren't tight somewhere. Uh, but they make more padded ones. Some people just need a bit more padding. Your grips could be worn or too rough. Uh, the other thing that you can, especially on a mountain bike, we generally now with disc brakes want to brake with a single index finger, but a lot of people do weird things. Maybe they break, I don't want to call it the middle finger braking crew, but I'm not big on that. But, but that makes no sense but whatsoever. We'll all agree, okay, one finger on the brake, so we don't generally want to do like two and three fingers, but some of us who have come up from like horrible brakes over the years that didn't really work before disc brakes and hydraulic disc brakes maybe learned with like two and three fingers on the brakes. And the problem is that that means that like your pinky is holding onto the bar. Right. right. And your hand is probably like tilting a bit. So I think some people would see maybe you have to move those brake levers in a tiny bit so that it's really positioned just for one finger. The brake lever is already designed for one finger. And then you should have four fingers that can grip the bar. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So just be careful that you're not, sort of like doing a ton of gripping that's then like locking up that arm and then if your whole hand looks like a claw <laughs> at the end of the race yeah you're gripping too tight and then what was the other thing related to that that i had i had one more thing uh your arm being actually bent a lot of people go super straight you do see that yeah like people who ride the trainer a lot especially uh ride indoors like they'll sort of bias to like a locked out position because it's like less energy uh, often that's more like a shoulder pain they'll end up with or elbow. Uh, but you generally want like your arm bent sort of like in an elbows out, like athletic position, so to speak. Um, so just being careful that you're not doing something weird, like rolling your shoulder forward and then locking out your arms, especially as you get to fatigued, you have to build that position, but we want sort of that, that elbows out. Uh, and this was on both breaks. sides, right? This wasn't <sighs> just one side? Good question. I don't know. Because I was going to say the only other thing I could think of as far as like weird things that you just might not, you know, contemplate as you're doing it is uh, if someone's wearing a watch, again, when your arm is, like when your wrist is bent, sometimes a watch can be digging in in a really weird way. And I mean, a lot of the stuff, all it takes is just hitting a nerve in kind of just the right way for a little too long. Could be. Yep. Uh, and then, so the, I have two more things. The, we want to move our grip around. So if it's like a nice open gravel road climb, you can let go of that brake lever. Hands can be loose. Some people like rotate their hands. So you're sort of gripping the side of the bar, take your hands off. You know, ideally you can ride one handed and no handed, just giving yourself a break, right? Um, uh, shifting the load side to side, mm -hmm. standing up periodically, but just making sure you can move around and adjust your positions. And then the last thing is I like anyone who's got hand gripping stuff. I usually get them a pretty big elastic. I always say broccoli elastic, but a broccoli elastic is often like too thick and too small, but an, an elastic you could keep on your wrist comfortably without cutting off your circulation and then put it around your fingers and your thumb 
so that you're sort of, I don't know how to make this, but you're making like, you know, when people make like, like a hand snake, there you go. So you make like a hand snake, but you put an elastic around all your fingers and your thumb. And then you just like extend, open your hand against the broccoli elastic and you just open and close your hand basically like you're making a hand snake, like talking, like shadow puppets, right? So you're basically doing like shadow puppets. <laughs> you're making them right now on our wall and it's amazing. And then while you do that, you can move your arm and your elbow all around while you're doing shadow puppets. Uh, hopefully everyone's keeping up with this. Uh, but that can be a great mulligan solution for things related to grip and numbness and carpal tunnel type stuff. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to add to that is over the years, I have probably heard... Dude, 15% of the cyclists I've ever talked to say that they have Renaud's, which is where you get kind of random or like s- slight temperature variations can cause your hands and feet to go numb. And I will not argue that some people definitely have this, um, but I think a lot of people actually like assume that they have it because they've WebMD'd the symptoms um, and end up kind of living with this numbness because there really isn't a cure for it or any like medical intervention for it other than warm up the extremities and you'll get feeling back in them eventually. Um, So I think a lot of people actually go through having a lot of numbness in their hands and feet when they ride and assume that it's Renaud's. And if it is, you know, that's, that's your answer. But if it isn't, you know, a lot of the time these problems can be solved by, you know, the solutions we just talked about or your bike fit or any number of things. Um, so just kind of caution people against assuming that they have this condition that, you know, might be completely curable by raising your saddle a half an inch. Well, you want to look for solutions for sure. Um, yeah, I think if it's hands and feet, then that's a little different, but for sure you could look at different solutions, whether that's equipment just to stay warm and stuff, but definitely seen people with like it's more of like a blood sugar type thing yeah i mean that's the case with me for the most part yeah i don't know don't know so anyway that's my psa there keep looking for solutions i guess yeah um or just don't think you're stuck in a thing that has no solutions unless a medical professional has told you there's no possible solutions well yeah and i mean look at bike fit and look at if it is that then you could certainly look at warm Warm stuff, right? Get those heated shoes and so forth. Uh, Electric gloves. So last question. Okay. Um, For someone who's starting strength training because tis the season, how am, like, do I really need to, like, get someone to help me with form is the question. I always like people to just get started on stuff Um, because too often we're, we need gear, we need the right clothes, we need to wait till the personal trainer can see us, we need to go to the gym. So I really like people just to do something. So we have anywhere core video. We have Molly's yoga video. There's lots of stuff out there on the internet. Six minute core. Okay. Ten so minute we've, core. we've established that there's no excuse to not get started get while started. you're waiting for the appointment. I can't stop making hand snakes against the wall now that we've had this question. Um, but that said, like most of the stuff that we've talked about is um, non-weight bearing. So it's all body weight core and strength. And that stuff you can kind of get away with slightly crappy form and it's not really going to matter. But if you're heading into the gym and heading for that, like, you know, actual bar. Sure. Now is the time to start thinking about just even one session with someone who's actually trained and can help you, you know, get your form done well. And I think a lot of people assume it's going to be really expensive. And honestly, it's really not. Most gyms, they might try to sell you on a package, but most gyms will end up conceding and giving you a one or two session deal. 
If yeah, I mean, just, ask okay. around. I mean, there should be a gym that's willing to do some sort of consultation, like yeah. form check for sure. I think most gyms try to sell you on like a six-week, eight-week program. But I think most gyms, if you're just vehement enough that you only want to do two sessions, will figure out a way to have you do two sessions, especially if you're willing to walk out and not pay for it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think to your question, the the form matters if you intend to load it or you intend to be doing it for a long time, right? I think there's certainly at the extremes of range or the extremes of loading, you know, it, it does matter. And I think we talked a bit before we got on about just we're, we're expecting some of this stuff to transfer over to our sport, right? So if we have numb hands on the bike because we've been letting our shoulders do weird things, Right, We haven't worked on the form of rowing or, or overhead pressing or pull-ups where we're learning to use our shoulder and brace our core. Uh, squatting to pick up groceries. Right. And how many injuries a year do we deal with that are not on the bike but poor, Kid, poor Kids lifts. jumping on you. Yeah, or kids jumping on you. So we need to arm ourselves for that, for crashing, right? Just building that capacity to get overhead. Most adults have a lot of problems going overhead just due to life we've all injured stuff right so just working on that and form is you know can you gradually increase that range of motion in your shoulder and it takes focus it can take feedback um, and then certainly squatting and deadlifting like a hip hinge is very important for the bike so just learning how to kettlebell swing or deadlift yeah most of us just wouldn't really think twice about paying for a massage or something like that so i think it's really worth you know, paying a little bit to go mm -hmm. to a trainer and, you know, learn how to do it right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty good money to do that. Right. And I think the other selling point, I guess, would be that you end up feeling competent and having a plan maybe and feeling like you're making progress and sort of understand, okay, this is how I progress this over a series of 12 weeks. Versus my old plan of walking into the gym and just going to whatever machine didn't yeah. have a bra Max on it. it. Maxing out whatever machine you go over to. Um, or but, just like following the bro around the gym and just doing what he does behind him. Yeah. And I think again, in the, uh, in the getting started, like maybe it's not within your money or you can't find someone. I think, you know, pick the movements you're, you feel safe with stay maybe away from the big weights and the, maybe the barbells just stay away from them if you're not familiar. And there's lots of stuff you can do, right? Like whatever you've been doing at home, just, you know, you can use the small dumbbell this week and then just keep progressing that dumbbell and, if it feels sketchy or you feel unsure, then just keep it the same for a week or go. that's the when you need to go get feedback, right? Yeah. All right. Awesome. I think that wraps it up for this week. As always, uh, hit us up with your questions. You can find us over on the consummate athlete consummateathlete.com. There's a contact form. You can send us your questions. Uh, you can find me over on theoutdooredit.com or on Twitter, Instagram at Molly J. Herford. Peter is at smartathlete.ca or at Peter Glassford on Twitter and Instagram. And thank you so much for all of your awesome questions and feedback and everything else. It's been know are really fun it's kind of still hard to imagine that we've been doing this for over three years but we have so uh thank you so much for tuning in do us a huge favor if you haven't already leave us a rating and review on itunes it's super super helpful for getting more awesome guests on um and yeah thanks so much for tuning in and we will see you next time